Thank you for joining us here at Friendship Bible Church in Kerrville, Texas. Today we're joining Pastor Mark Rylander in the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 10 through 2, 18, message entitled, Brothers with Christ. If you have your Bible with you, uh, please join me in Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 10. And what we're going to do is uh, see God the Holy Spirit through the pen of the writer uh, talk to us about surrender. Talk to us about surrender. Um, am I? As we've related earlier in this series, these people. are being tempted. This is a, a congregation in North Africa. The writer, who I will have told you already, I believe, is uh, the ancient church. Didn't call this the epistle of Paul to the Hebrews. They called it the epistle of Barnabas to the Hebrews. Their earliest statement we have it is on this is from the third century. A fellow by then, a very well-known man named Tertullian that said uh, the author of Hebrews, as everyone knows, Barnabas, moving right along, it wasn't even a contended issue. So this companion of Paul in ministry, Barnabas, is writing from Italy to this congregation in North Africa that he has almost in all likelihood ministered to personally, formerly, but they have been persecuted. They've borne great fruit for Christ, but they have been relentlessly, severely persecuted. And their hands are hanging down, which is a phrase he will use later in the epistle. Their hands are hanging down. Their knees have become weak. And they need to be comforted. They need to be fortified. They need to be strengthened. And the strengthen, strengthening comes from being reminded of what they already knew, what they had already been taught by Barnabas and by others, that God the Son, God the Son has come. As he states in chapter 1, the earth was favored wonderfully by God who sent to our fathers, to our forebears, the prophets. Elijah, Jeremiah, Moses, all those prophets, wonderful writers of the first 39 books of the Bible, the, Old, the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament. But now, he has spoken to us by Son. He has stepped it up as big as it can be. And notice in your Bible, and as I related at the time, in chapter 1, verse 2, all of our Bibles read the same, spoken to us by His Son, but the His in His italics. He's spoken to us by Son. Why did our, our translators insert the word Son? His. Well, for the smoothest of translation, and it sounds better to our ears, it sounds stark when you just say son. Well, it sounded stark in Greek, too. It, started, it sounded stark to the original. Intentionally so. I want, you, I want to get your attention, readers. God has really upped the game when He sent His Son. When He sent His Son. You talk about a revelation, not just of words coming out of a mouth or of words coming off of the tip of someone's pen, 
but the revelation not only of words, but of a life that was absolutely he who has seen me, said Jesus, has seen the Father. You talk about a privileged people to be given that gift by God of the most overwhelming, authentic, and true, right down to the smallest jot and tittle, to quote Jesus. The smallest letter and part of a letter, not only in, on the page, but in a life. And as you read the Gospel accounts, you see what comes to your mind's eye by, via the Holy Spirit bringing it from His Word is you see Jesus as much as those apostles and their companions saw Jesus. And He's communicated that to you and given you the assurance of all the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands of miracles that Jesus did and His own resurrection and His own ascension which the apostles witnessed. He, God has upped the game. He's upped the ante. Pay attention. Pay attention. And joy. You've been persecuted, but joy awaits you. Joy can be yours now. Joy can be yours now. And he has been encouraging them and quoting the Hebrew Scriptures that elevate the Son, the Son, the Son. All these prophet, prophetic statements that the Son would be elevated, not though as the cult that's trying to attract them that elevated angels. And it's like Barnabas could hardly restrain himself. Are you kidding me? Angels, and he quotes the Hebrew Scriptures to justify his position, Angels are servants of you. They're not to be highly regarded and worshipped by you. It's just the opposite. God created man out of the dust. And by man, I mean man and woman. And even called, the name Adam means dusty. <laughs> and we bear the image of God. And the angels are our servants. We are to worship God alone. And he picks up on that and has been speaking of this. And we pick up on it in verse 10 where it is speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ who has been crowned with glory and honor at the close of verse 9 that he, Jesus, by the grace of God, might taste death for every one. What is God like? As Jesus says in John 3.16, for God so loved, loved, loved. As we stated earlier, the world knows only one God who loves. Knows only one God who is good. That is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It includes God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit who are good and love us and they demonstrated their love God the Father demonstrated his love for us Jesus says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son the heir of all things that's what that only begotten means he is the heir of all things he gave to us the heir of all things don't hang on to this stuff in this world folks everything in this world 
is going to turn to dust. Everything. Oh, I've got this. I've got bars of gold. You know, the streets in the New Jerusalem are going to be paved with gold. (laughs) The treasure to grip tightly is God himself and relationship with him. By the way, we are told that in the eternal reign of Christ, he will tabernacle, he will dwell with us. This is the same writer of John's gospel who wrote the book of Revelation, who says in Revelation, in John chapter 1, and the word Jesus became flesh and tabernacled, tented among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as the only begotten of the Father, and in the same way he is going to dwell with us for eternity, literally if we're getting getting together, having a uh, uh, a party to get, you know, Jesus is going to be there with us, and we will be sitting at His feet, listening and viewing and unrestrained welcome in His presence. He tasted death. He took the penalty for our sins upon the cross to enable his father, his holy father, to wipe our slate clean. And frankly, not just wipe our slate clean, but to write on that slate what Jesus, my son, did in perfect obedience to me. I'm now putting that, I'm crediting that to his account, to her account. As if he, she, had lived my son's life. That's what justification means. Not just the taking away of the guilt of our sin, but the attachment to us of Jesus' own righteousness. When we step into heaven's presence, it is going to be with the same unrestrained joy that the Father welcomed the Son because He's attached to us Jesus' performance. I'll take that. Will you take that? I'll take that. Yeah. Verse 10, For it was fitting for Him, Jesus, For whom are all things? The only begotten Son, the heir of all things. For whom are all things? And by whom are all things? (coughs) The Creator. (coughs) Again, as John says in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Speaker, and the Speaker was with God in a face-to-face relationship with God, God the Father, God the Son. And God was the speaker, and by him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that was made. For whom are all things, and by whom are all things? He fashioned the very creation that he would inherit. In bringing many sons to glory along with him in his parade in his train to make that he made the captain of their salvation our lord jesus christ perfect through suffering so wait a minute jesus is god the son become flesh what is this perfection it's not a talking about a moral imperfection on jesus part but jesus was being trained 
by a regimen placed upon him by God the Father to become our fitting high priest. Our defense attorney. When I say high priest, think defense attorney. Because Jesus stands at the right hand of the Father as my defense attorney. I'm going to ask for a little bit of honesty. You don't have to publicly stand up and, and say things out of your mouth. But have you ever, since you came to faith in Christ, have you ever sinned since then? Well, there's a reason why John and 1 John, again, the same, same author as the book of Revelation and the Gospel, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ signalizes us from all sin. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, if we say the same thing about our sins that he's confess means saying the same thing as. If we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, which means he'll do it. And he is faithful and just when he forgives us our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. When God says to a Christian who has sinned, I forgive you and cleanses us from all unrighteousness, he, is, he does it every time when we authentically say the same thing about it that he does. And he is just, he is righteous when he does it. How is that? Because his son already paid the fine. He took the penalty. He has the holy God has complete, utter freedom to forgive what did the thief crucified beside Jesus say? Who said, I deserve this crucifixion? You will be with me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. You will be with me this day in paradise. That's not just one a one-off. That is the promise to every believer. Our sister who just on the third of this month went to be with the Lord. She is in paradise, the very presence of God. He made the captain of our of their salvation perfect through he qualified his son to be a high priest because a high priest has to be sympathetic to the coming sinner as well as entreating a successful entreater of the God or judge whom he's entreating. He has to have a heart for both. And Jesus' heart was stretched, so to speak. He became qualified by the sufferings that he endured. He could say to the sinner who comes to him seeking cleansing, I, because he was tested in all points as we are yet without sin, but he was tested. And by the way, he was more than tested because our tests always end in one of two ways, either with our failure, <laughs> our sin, or because God says, okay, he can't, he, she can't take any more. I'm going to lift the temptation. I'm going to lift the test. Jesus could always take more. How many of us could stand a face-to-face -face confrontation with Satan?
that Jesus had following his 40 days in the wilderness of fasting. And he had become hungry, which means he's now in the process of starving to death and resisting turning the stones into bread. Could I have resisted that? He has been made perfect, qualified to do his job as our high priest, as our defense attorney, through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies Christ and those who are being sanctified, us, sanctified means set apart, are all of one, meaning we're all of the human race. Jesus is fully God and fully man. He was fully a human being. Please be very careful. He wasn't half man, half God. He is fully God, fully man, joined together in one person. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. For which reason he, Jesus, is not afraid to call them brethren. Think about that. God the Son, become man, says to us, you are my brothers and sisters. Now I want to just take a moment to say here, when you read son or you read brethren, don't let the fact that it's a male terminology mess with you because in the first century Greek world, the word was applied, especially in the court system, to both if you were an heir in of someone in the Roman world, at down at the courthouse, ladies, you would have been, your title would have been son. All heirs, all inheritors, the legal term was son, regardless of your gender. And you're, you were all brothers, regardless of your gender. So please don't let throw, that throw you. I, and it's here he quotes the Hebrew scriptures. I will declare your name. This is Jesus speaking. I will declare your name, Father, to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. Now, what's been going on in this worship service today? Jesus has been here. And through the mouths of various people in this congregation, and as we've read the scripture, who's actually been speaking? Jesus! Go into all the world and preach the gospel, he said to the apostles, and I will be with you. Jesus is with us. He is God with us. That's one of his names. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you, Father. And again, Jesus speaking, I will put my trust in him. Jesus, we can't go to Jesus in our complaints when we failed and say, well, Jesus, you don't know. Oh, yes, I do. Jesus trusted the Father to raise him from the dead. Jesus, when the storm was stilled, was doing it in the power of the Father. Jesus, when he walked on water, was doing it in the power supplied to him by the Father and the Holy Spirit. When he fed the 5,000, when he fed the 4,000, everything that he did was in the power supplied to him by the Father. He has walked 
the walk he calls on us to walk. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. And again, verse 13, I will put my trust in him. Jesus trusted his father. He surrendered. He surrendered. When he went to the cross, what had he said in the garden when he was arrested and Peter pulled out his sword and took off the ear of the high priest's servant? Peter, put your sword away, and then he healed it. Can you imagine? You're the servant of the high priest. You're there to arrest Jesus, and he heals you. <laughs> he plants your ear back on your head. I could call 12 legions of angels, Peter. That's 72,000 angels. A legion was 6,000. I don't need your sword to protect me. I could call 12 legions of angels. But he didn't. He could have called 12 legions of angels as he was having the flesh ripped off of his back. He could have called 12 legions of angels as the soldiers of Herod Antipas were beating his face. He could have called 12 legions of angels when the Roman soldiers were pressing the crown of thorns down on his head and mocking him. He could have called 12 legions of angels as the cross is going to the mountain, as he's being about to be crucified, as he is hanging on that cross. He could have called, but he didn't do it. He was accepting, but he was trusting, trusting, trusting. And some of you who are on the internet, you have probably seen this picture. I need to print it out. We need to put it on the wall here. And it's from the movie about the sufferings of Christ. And here is the actor playing the part of Jesus, dressed in all the garb and everything with the crown of thorns, with the blood. And he's sitting there in a chair talking to the producer. And the caption on the picture of this healthy fellow speaking to the fellow dressed up as the tortured Jesus. This is like what it's like when we come to Jesus with our troubles. <laughs> In fact, it is. He's been there. He's been where you are. And much more deeply, much more intensely than we ever could. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. We are Jesus' children as well as his brothers. Here am I and the children whom God has given me Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, were fully human, he himself likewise shared in the same full humanity that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. He completely broke Satan's power. Satan is nothing but smoke and mirrors. He parades around, he struts around, he acts like he's got all the power. He has no power except what you attribute to him. He has no power. You walk in the power in, 
authority in the provision of Jesus. I don't care if you're a four-year-old who has entrusted themselves to Christ. You've got more power than Satan himself. In fact, what does the scripture say? Psalm 8, out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength that you might humiliate the avenger, Satan. God loves using, and I've used this illustration before, if, if, if some armored knight were to charge in here with a broadsword and start swinging it around, and Summer were, supposed, were to run, jump up and go grab a fly swatter, and Summer were to beat that armored knight into submission with a fly swatter, I mean, it's one thing if he were defeated by another armored knight. But God uses, uh, we're a fly swatter in the hand of God. But the fly swatter in the hand of God, which is us, has more authority, more power than Satan in all his paraded power. He's been broken. He just refuses to admit it. But every time there's an authentic encounter between a Jesus-empowered servant of his brother sister of his and satan satan flees 100 percent of the time he himself likewise shared in the same our flesh and blood that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death that is the devil and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage we were afraid of dying. Now we're not. That's why Christian martyrs can embrace the stake that they're tied to or the cross that they're nailed to or whatever torturous death the persecutors would lay upon them. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, which that cult is attempting to elevate, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. And we are all Abraham's seed, all his heirs, because when we came to faith in Christ, we replicated the faith of Abraham. And Abraham, and Abram, Genesis 15, believed God. And it was accounted to him to solve his unsolvable problem. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. Abraham did not parade his, his goodness before God. He believed God. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore, in all things, he, Jesus, had to be made like his brethren that he might be, be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God so that when we come to him, with our confessions and with our pleas for aid. He can say, yes, I know, and I know exactly the provision and the fashion of it that needs to come to you. To make propitiation satisfaction for the sins of the people. When God looked at what his son did, when God the Father, the judge, looked at what his son did on the cross, he could say, in regard to human sin, I'm completely, utterly satisfied. Justice has been satisfied. That gives me perfect freedom 
glad freedom to forgive all those who come to me with that plea. And before the words are out of their mouth, I'm giving them the gift. And he's done this to make propitiation, satisfaction for the sins of the people, for in that he himself has suffered, he, Jesus himself, has suffered, being tempted, being tested. He is able to aid those who are tempted, tested. He can say, I've been where you are. I know what's needed, and I have all of heaven's treasure house to supply to you. And the principal supply is my own presence and strengthening of you from the inside out. That's why God's people are indwelled by the Holy Spirit himself. What a provision we already have in place. And notice, by the way, it had to await the death and resurrection of Christ and then it was poured out and granted to us on the day of Pentecost and to all God's people ever since.